0: We thought you might like to know about the Heart and Soul Free Clinic. My guest today is Lisa Craig, the executive director of that organization. Westfield, Indiana is one of the most affluent cities in the state of Indiana, but they have need of a free clinic, and Hamilton County, one of our richest counties, has three free clinics. Why? Because poverty looks different in a place like that. So Lisa Craig joins me today to talk a little bit about the people who use a free clinic, what services they have. And if you're in need, how you can access them. And if you're a doctor, a nurse, a nurse practitioner, a translator, they're always looking for help, too. So stay tuned right here on The Chris Spangle Show. Before we start, I want to thank all of the Weird Libertarians patrons for being a part of the show. You can find out all of the benefits of subscribing on Patreon at joinwallplus.com. That's W-A-L Plus.com. You'll get bonus content, access to the complete archives. There's over a 1,000 shows that you can't get in the public feed. And you'll be supporting all of our great shows. Thank you especially to our $100 a month members. John Pusilo, Vincent Peichel, Lars Nordskog, Jake Edel, Matthew Durbin, Reinhold, Christy Avery, and Jason Doolittle. We also want to thank our main sponsor for this episode. Uh, It is Iconic Insurance. 15% 15% of Americans are left to find health insurance on their own. And even if you get health insurance from your employer that doesn't work for you, Matt Allen and Iconic Insurance can help you find the right insurance. Just head over right now and contact him at iconic-insurance.com libertarians. We'll put the link in the description if you can't remember that. But Matt is a longtime listener of this program and a great guy and a good friend of mine. So please go support him and reach out right now. Thank you. And now let's get started with our show. Lisa Craig, Executive Director of the Heart and Soul Free Clinic. Thank you so much for joining me. Tell us a little bit about what you do.
1: Well, hi, thank you for having me. Heart and Soul Free Clinic is a provides free medical, dental and mental health care to individuals that are uninsured. We say in central Indiana, but we could take care of people wherever. We are physically located in Westfield, Indiana, which is in Hamilton County. We provide services such as vaccines for children, walk-in time slots for individuals that have acute healthcare issues, and also we provide scheduled appointments for chronic health care issues. We have a GYN clinic for women. We partner with Ascension Health for mammograms. We have a mobile mammogram mobile comes to see us. And we also have a mobile unit that we take to several different areas around Hamilton County to provide scheduled visits. And then we have dental clinics and mental health care as well.
0: So you're doing a lot. And so you've given (laughs) us kind of the the size and scope of the services. How many People, do you interact with? Uh, you know, how big is your facility? How big is the need? I guess is the question.
1: To be honest, we're one of three free clinics in Hamilton County. There are three of us, and people are often surprised that there are three free clinics in Hamilton County. We all basically do pretty much the same thing with different variations, and we are all busy. There, there's more than enough people that have needs. That we're serving. We, well, in 2021, we served 573 individual patients at just over 1,500 patient visits for 2021. So that means somebody might come for more than one time to see the doctor, or they might come one time to see the doctor, one time to see the dentist, and maybe they have a mental health visit as well. So so that's kind of our scope. We're on track to see a little bit more than what we saw last year. We are so full as far as our scheduled visits that to schedule an appointment, you're waiting till December frequently to get in for a scheduled appointment mm. with us. We have two exam rooms and we could use we could use another exam room. We could use a bigger space um, to see more people.
0: So you're staffed by volunteers and you, I presume... Own the space? Do you rent space, or or how does that work? And you know, is that part of the backlog? Is just that it's hard to find volunteers to kind of help meet people? And do you have standing hours, or is it just you know like appointment only kind of stuff when you can get the volunteers? Um,
1: No, those are excellent questions. Let me see if I can hit them all. We are staffed by volunteers, and so that is some of the difficulty. So when we we don't have enough volunteers, it's hard to provide the care for individuals. So we're always looking for more volunteers. That includes doctors, doctors that they specialize in family practice or internal medicine or emergency medicine. That would be the type of doctors that best serve our patients. Nurse practitioners, family nurse practitioners, physician's assistants, nurses, that would be on the medical side. On the dental side, dentist, dental assistants are our primary volunteers that we need. And then we are always looking for Spanish interpreters, people that are Fluid, uh, fluent in um, both English and Spanish because about 71% of our patient population is Spanish speaking. So we prefer, we find that our providers and our patients really like having a person being able to provide that interpreting service instead of using like an iPad or Google Translate or a three-way phone call. So we really like to have those volunteers that have that language ability because it really helps us provide that care.
0: If I can ask a delicate question, why is that such a large percent of the population? Is that because people who you know might be considered illegal are afraid to go to maybe uh, a larger establishment like St. Vincent's or there there just is a lot more poverty.
1: That's an excellent question. I think it could be kind of multi-factor. I do think there is a fear factor of going to a established medical setting when you may or may not, you know, when you might not be documented. That is something that we don't ask. We don't feel like that is any of our, you know, that's not part of our mission. Our mission is to provide that care. We want to keep people healthy and keep people able to work. I think that there is maybe some greater poverty or an ability to pay that extra for uh, self-care healthcare costs sometimes in that population. But I think another, another factor that we have so many individuals that speak Spanish is that we are compassionate, we provide competent care, and they also know that they're going to find somebody here that speaks Spanish when they come to the medical appointment.
0: Yeah, word, so, to, word of mouth, too. I'm sure, you know, it gets around that, hey, these folks are reliable. So tell us about the population that you serve. I mean, I, I, I'm sure that the concept of a free clinic may evoke like maybe uh, down on their luck people or slackers who just don't have enough money. I mean, I think we all know why healthcare is expensive, but I'd love to get a sense uh, from you, like a frame of reference. Like I had an issue in April. I went to the ER. I've got a $500 bill. That's expensive for me right. to pay, but that wasn't the whole bill. I have insurance. I, I have a job that, that gives me insurance where I pay, you know, along with them. So we all I think our our idea of expensive healthcare is kind of sliding, right? But what is the necessity of a free clinic and how does that play out in the people that you work with on a daily basis?
1: Well, one of the things that we see is our patients are well, I mean when we're looking at our demographics, about 90% of our patient population would be considered low to very low income and if you ask me on the numbers, I don't have that in front of me, so I couldn't tell you. But they're they're low to very low income. However, interestingly, majority about eighty percent of our adult patients work in some capacity. So they're working full time or part time. That would be also you know considered working. But the interesting thing is those individuals are working at positions that often are low paying jobs. They, that don't offer insurance. So you could probably guess at some of the the jobs that our patients have, but, you know, that could be servers and restaurants. That could be landscape construction. We have several people that are in the ministry. We have, you know, hairdressers, babysitters, daycare providers, those sorts of things that they do work, but they just don't have positions that offer insurance and those are positions that usually are hourly. So if you get sick, you still have to work because otherwise you don't get don't get paid and you're not getting paid that much to begin with. So the most, you know, you got to pay your rent, you got to pay your for food, you got to pay your utilities. So if you get sick, it's so hard to then pay those bills. That $500 ER visit, you know, like you said that's only a portion of what the real cost was. You can go to the ER and a self-pay might pay, you know, $1200 at an ER. A self-pay doctor's appointment might be over $100 because you have labs and other tests that you have to do along with the regular appointment. So, I think it's an interesting piece. Our patients are hard workers. There's a term that it's a United Way term. And you could go to the United Way of Central Indiana and look up ALICE. Like they have like an ALICE project. And ALICE stands for Asset Limited Income Constrained But Employed. And those are the patients that we serve. And if you go to the United Way of Central Indiana and look that up, and I'm sure it's on other other United Way chapters, but there's an ALICE- simulation and it really gives you an idea of, you know, where you're given a scenario, you know, of you know, what your family looks like and then you choose a job and then you get you kind of select through until you're out of money for the month. And that's what our what our patients, that's that's who we serve.
0: Yeah, I mean me in my twenties, to be honest. I mean I, I, well, right. that. I didn't have insurance. I had insurance one year out of all every year of my twenties and I just never went to the doctor. Just because I, there was no way I could afford it. I needed some mental health care uh, specifically. But I never went and did it because it just wasn't within reach. Because I I mean, at one point, I was making $250 a week and spending $100 of that on gas alone. So it was, you know, it was really tough to make ends meet. Do you find that a lot of your, your clients are younger too? Like you mentioned ministry, I could see a lot of like youth pastors <laughs> making uh, $17,000 a year coming in for, for free services. Do you see an age range that that kind of, you know, folks who haven't had their career takeoff yet?
1: Oh, goodness. I don't have those numbers in front of me. I'm so bad with numbers. If you don't want to guess,
0: it's totally fine.
1: But but definitely, I would say probably the majority of our our patients are probably in between that 30 age range to 65. We are growing our elderly population because we have so many individuals that, again, I don't know this for sure because we don't ask the question, but are undocumented So they're not eligible for Medicare when they hit sixty-five. So they're continuing on. Those that, you know, are eligible for Medicare, they drop off from our care at sixty-five. We do have a decent amount of individuals that are, you know, maybe fifty-five or sixty in between like that before they hit Medicare, that they're trying to save money and not pay for out-of-pocket insurance and hmm. in between um, hitting Medicare. So we do have those individuals as well.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting time frame. I hadn't thought about that, but you know, people who are kind of forced into retirement or maybe can't work because of health issues, but aren't yet collecting Social Security or Medicare or Medicaid mm-hmm. yet. Tell us about the pandemic. How did that affect your clinic? And what did you learn over the last two, almost three years?
1: Oh well, the pandemic certainly affected all of us, right? In so many different ways. We were pretty when if you think back to March of 2020, you know, March 13th, and all everything was shutting down, we were like, "Oh my gosh, what do we do?" We didn't have a pandemic policy in place. So, we had to create and and, you know, consider what was best for our patients. We made a choice to continue to see patients face-to-face during that time. Of course, we made, you know, some provisions to make sure that Everybody was safe, the patients and our volunteer staff. We did what most doctors' offices were doing, where you were not coming into the waiting area or waiting in the cars, that kind of stuff. Those were some of the practical things that we did. We didn't do our walk-in clinics during that time because we felt like we wouldn't be able to manage was all coming. So we, we made some procedural changes and how we operated, but we thought it was so important to keep our doors open to see our patients face to face. Because if we weren't there, we, you know, the next option is the ER and it didn't seem like that was the best option for our patients. One, because of cost. Two, at that point in time, early on, again, the sick people were going to the ER And we didn't want to expose people to to COVID if they didn't have to be. You know, and that was early on. That was March, April of 2020 when nobody knew what was happening. What we saw towards later 2020 and into 2021 is our numbers increased. We would get phone calls on a regular basis where people people's income changed because, you know, maybe their hours were cut. Again, we're talking hourly workers, you know, that work hourly jobs typically that come to see us. So hours may have been cut. So maybe before they didn't need to see us because they had enough hours and enough wages to pay to go see the doctor. And now they didn't. And then another piece that we saw at that point in time, a lot of people that had lost insurance because they lost jobs or, you know, again, lost income, or maybe they were full time before. And now they had to be dropped down to part time and You know, insurance wasn't a part of that plan. So we saw quite a bit of that at at that point in time. We're now more back to business as usual, but still are seeing an increase in patients.
0: How were you able to get healthcare providers to come and volunteer during that time? Because I know, you know, my mom's an RN, has been an RN for almost 40 years, I think, 30 years. Mm. And she has a cushy ICU job where she just, you know, gives people shots uh, or a, a cushy outpatient uh, surgery job, but was yes. put into the ICU, was put into uh, oh, yeah. rotation. And I know we didn't see her really for nine months you know, in, in that year. So was it was it a lot tougher to find people to come and volunteer to, to help keep up?
1: So many things didn't necessarily go as as like we part of our pandemic plan was we were we were worried we wouldn't have anybody to come. We were like, okay, what is the minimum amount of people, you know, one provider, one nurse, that's it. That's all, we. you know, one interpreter. And that interpreter could do it by phone if we needed to. So we we had a plan in place. And we were able to get some funding to hire a nurse on a as-needed basis, kind of to fill in if we didn't have any volunteers. So she was our backup plan. And we were really worried about our our volunteer staff because many of them are, are of retirement age, which again, at that point in time, there was so much, well, and still but there was so much concern. Nobody knew what was happening. Very, very concerned about that 65 old It was
0: girls. pretty pretty clear early on that people who were older and people with, you know, conditions were kind of the, definitely the more vulnerable. I mean, I know my 86-year-old grandparents in the nursing home, we were, I was more worried about them than than anybody. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's especially, and, nope. you know, and maybe you can touch on this too, just the populations who are, you know, who have less income or minority populations seem to take a harder hit. Did you experience that too, considering you you work with, uh, you know, more of a Latino population?
1: Well, let me, let me go back to what I was getting ready to say. The volunteers, we have an amazing group of volunteers. We were really worried that we were, weren't going to have the people to come and provide, but people wanted to it was It was amazing. those individuals that could did. We had a number of volunteers that, like you said, just like your mother, were, you know, we didn't see for a number of months because they were so busy, you know, providing care in the hospitals or in the doctor's offices and, and such that that we didn't see them. But we really still were able to get those individuals to come in and volunteer. As far as how COVID affected our patient population, yes, I would say it affected them. I don't know if we have any kind of record or numbers to really identify how exactly it affected them. We as an organization, our free clinic, we did not have the manpower to provide COVID shots or COVID vaccines or COVID testing early on. One of the other free clinics here in Hamilton County did do that and they were awesome for us. You know, they helped our they they helped us and our our volunteers and our staff if we ever had any issues. We referred our patients to the Hamilton County Health Department or whatever health department was in, you know, what, where they lived to be able to get testing done. So we really partner with a lot of organizations, the health department, the other free clinics, all the trustees, the township trustees that are in our area, and, you know, try to help everybody as best we can.
0: So last question here, how did how did the organization start and how did you get involved? That's a great question.
1: So the the organization was started in 2009 by a Westfield nurse by the name of Sandy Kirsch and she and her husband worked really hard with the city of Westfield and were able to secure a space for the clinic. That was in 2009 and they started growing. You know, they saw that there was a need. They saw that there were people that were falling through the cracks and not receiving healthcare, and and, and like, what
0: I want people to understand, maybe from around the state or around the country, Westfield is, if not the one of the top three most affluent cities in the state, is it not? Yeah. I mean, I mean, so it's it's sort of amazing to hear that you have three clinics and that you know that there's there's that much need, you know, in this day and age but, in, in Westfield.
1: Well, it's really interesting. In Hamilton County as a whole, people have a stereotype of those individuals that live in Carmel or Westfield or just Hamilton County in general, that they are affluent. And you're right. It is one of the most affluent areas, but there's kind of that hidden poverty in the area as well. People don't look the same as if you're driving in in Indianapolis and people are standing on the side of the road, you know, with their signs and, and, and begging for food. People do a lot of couch surfing. They live with other people. And, and that sort of thing too. So it looks different. The poverty looks different. And another component to all of this in Hamilton County is that housing is really not affordable. You know, you have a number of jobs. I mean, if anybody has driven through Hamilton County, we're flush with fast food restaurants and you know places where you need workers, and you can't always rely on you know high school kids. And those people that are working in those jobs, they might not be able to live here because it's hard to afford it. So it is interesting, but it's there and it's a little more hidden than in other areas.
0: All right. Shameless self-promotion time. Tell us uh, how can people help you? What kind of help do you need? Do you take donations, volunteers? Do you have events coming up? Tell us everything. And and also, please tell us your website.
1: So, our website is www.heartandsoulclinic.org and is spelled out A and We are always in need of volunteers. Like I mentioned earlier, volunteers, doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, Spanish interpreters, dentists, and dental assistants. Those are the main people that we need. You can go to our website and apply online for any volunteer position. You can even contact me and ask. I'm Lisa at heartandsoulclinic.org. So you could you could email me if if you wanted to ask questions about what those positions do. And I can, if I can not answer, I'll connect to you. We are funded by grants, fundraisers, and donors. We receive no federal money. And so we do a lot of fundraising events to try to help market and tell people about what we do, but also um, raise money. So our next event is in November. It's called, it'll be our fourth gratitude gala it's november the 5th at lucas estate in carmel and it's just a fun event there's cocktails there's live band there's dancing there'll be an auction and just a lot of fun and awards we have some awards that we give out at that event and try to make people aware of what we do and how we help the community we have a great group of passionate volunteers and we would love to continue to add to that group
0: All right. Lisa Craig, Executive Director of Heart and Soul Free Clinic in Westfield, Indiana. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. And thank you, listener, for joining us. Please go support great organizations like this. You can find more episodes like this at indianapodcast.com. And we thank you so much for listening. We will see you again soon.